guardian of my soul. You see Jesus Christ as a guardian of our soul. It says, My foes are ever near me, around me, and within. But Jesus, draw thou nearer and shield my soul from sin. How does Jesus do that? Our confessional reading. Read that first. The Lord is say 12. on page 213 in the Forms and Prayer Book. Question answer 31. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, and our only high priest, who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. We'll be particularly paying focus on, the, on his work as high priest, our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. And question 32, but why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. Turn to God's Word to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to begin reading at verse 31, and read through to verse 62. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 31. Let's hear God's holy word. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter. The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times, that you will deny three times that you know me. He said to them, When I sent you without money, without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. He said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garments and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, look, here are two swords. He said to them, it is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, 
If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, why are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. He touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man also was with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Focus. This evening is verses 31 to 34. We're looking, going through Luke and Cambridge, and this is what we just looked at this afternoon as well. I read those verses again for you. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. He said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me, before you will deny three times that you know me. of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, and looming before them was that judgment, dying, you shall die. Do you think Adam and Eve understood all the ramifications of their sin? Not just with regard to the effect of sin within their own hearts, but in terms of the, the spiritual sphere. Of course not. They wouldn't know all that. Indeed, they would be feeling and sensing the effects of their sin in terms of their covenant with God. They had listened to the devil speaking. But did they fully understand at that time 
how they, they shifted from being a covenant friend of God to now being an obedient vassal of the devil. To now being a servant of Satan and a servant of sin. Would they have a view while hiding under the trees and fearing the approach of God? Of the war that was waged with regard to their souls between God and the devil? Would they be aware of the peaked interest in terms of them among the angels and the demons? In no way do we want to speculate. Yet Scripture makes clear to us that there's, that there's all this activity that goes on in the spiritual realm with regard to us, with regard to our salvation, with regard to our standing or not standing in grace, with regard to God's purposes for us. Scripture speaks of this activity within the spiritual realm, the spiritual forces. For instance, Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil over the body of Moses. Of Satan falling from heaven. Of angels desiring to peer into the things of salvation and of Christ. Of Satan launching darts at believers of unbelievers being under the spell of the prince of the power of the air. What goes on in this plane of reality, in terms of our own lives, in terms of our hearts and minds, we see is, is influenced in the spiritual plane. There's, a, there's an interaction, even though we're not aware of all that happens in the spiritual realm, nor can we be but simply of what God reveals in His Word to us. And of course, what God reveals in His Word is sufficient for us. But what God has revealed in His Word concerning the spiritual realm and the activity that goes on there, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and His continuing uh, His continuing role, His continuing... Uh, his, his mediatorialship and His Lordship for us, His work as a Savior for us, and then also the devil and all that He does. That that is for our comfort and for edification and faith. That is indeed a warning to us as we'll see, but it's also for our security in Christ. So we might be made sure as we look to Christ in faith. An employee working in his sales, the sales department of a toy company might be a little bit concerned, especially if the person just became, became employed in such a company. They need to be concerned with the product that they are selling. They need to know, and they, they, they rightly should have questions with regard to that product in order to be able to, to market it. They need to know it. They need to be able to, to, to believe in it. Perhaps they're selling these motorized tractors for children. And, well, this motorized tractor can be like those other ones, like those runaway episodes. You know, the child's sitting on there and just keeps on going, doesn't shut off. Well, the gap between the, the tire and the, and the fender, is, is it possible for a child to get his, his foot stuck in there? What about the quality? Is it going uh, to hold up with the, with the weather, the elements? And so the supervisor will give that salesperson a, a tour uh, of the company, of the work behind the scenes. Take him into the, through the doors, uh, uh, into the back, the, the, the rest of the, the, the factory. Show him the, the top quality materials, the way that it's constructed, all the, the planning that's gone into it, the testing sites, the quality control. Then the employee understands and is assured, seeing that all that has gone into it. What about our salvation? Do you doubt it? 
Do you have insecurity at times or doubts concerning it? Or do you take it for granted? How are we kept and preserved in the salvation, in grace from day to day? How do we actually make it through temptations? Have you recently had, through God's word, a a behind the scenes? See how the Lord upholds his people. Well, that's what the Lord gives us in a sense. Through his words to Peter here. Our Lord reveals that even when we fall into sin. He preserves his own and enables them to persevere. Our Lord reveals that even when we fall into sin. He preserves his own and enables them to persevere. And that should increase our trust in the Lord and our love of Him. You see, first, our unseen contender for our souls. The unseen contender for our souls. I see in Luke's account, according to Luke's account, that and they don't all, the gospel writers don't all organize material in exactly the same way. But we see that in Luke's account that our Lord speaks to Peter just after he's addressed all the disciples. This is within, this is in the account of the upper room, Luke's account of the upper room and the interchanges between Christ and his disciples. And so it's after he has instituted this new sacrament, after he has sealed the covenant in his blood through the new sacrament of bread and wine. And then it's after, after his disciples have disputed who would be such a one that would betray the Lord when, when our Lord says that one of them is going to do so. And then from that, that dispute of, of who would do such a thing, which one of us would do that, comes this, naturally arises this, this discussion of who is the greatest among us. And Christ admonishes them. And says the greatest among you is the one who serves. And then announces to them that he gives to them the kingdom. And it's after that that he looks at Peter. This one to whom he's just announced, one of the ones he just announced that he has given to them the kingdom, to this one. And he says, Simon, Simon. He doesn't use Peter's new name that he gave him, but he uses his birth name. Why? To remind him of who he was, what he is of himself, apart from his grace, apart from his redemptive purposes, who Peter is of his own weakness, of his own native weakness, and his vulnerability as a fallen sinner. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Imagery is not necessarily immediately uh, there to be grasped. It helps to know that Christ is not only speaking of Simon Peter here, not only speaking to Simon here, but all of the disciples. Satan has asked for you, and that you is in the plural. He's asked for all of you. He's asked for all of you. Jesus addresses him particularly. He's a spokesperson, and perhaps he's the one in particular that Simon would take. Sifting as as wheat, imagery, uh, similar to what we see in, in the prophecies of Amos and Haggai, where, where God speaks of sifting Israel or, or shaking the nations. Perhaps you've done some sifting, sifting topsoil through a screen. Maybe you sift flour in the kitchen to have it 
uh, have it come through uh, fine and to break up the clumps. Oh, you know, as you sift that all the all the fine uh, particles will go through the screen and, and left on top are, are the larger particulate. And perhaps this sifting of, of wheat was, was, to was to remove the, the remaining chaff after the wheat was threshed, after it was uh, thrown up in the air, winnowed. And to remove the, 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 the chaff that still remained, along with perhaps foreign material, foreign seeds, other seeds and other organic material, perhaps other pebbles that might be in there as well. Satan desires to shift them as wheat. Desires to agitate them greatly. To shake them. To bring trouble to them. In order to cause them to fall. With the intent that their, that their faith stumble and fall. To separate those who, who remain. Those who, 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 to separate those who, who might be turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ. From those who remain steadfast in Him. And he particularly wants Simon, the spokesman of the disciples. Throughout the scripture, we see that the devil's intent is to thwart Christ's purposes in redeeming his people and in bringing his kingdom. He stands against God and God's covenant, God's purposes. You see this right from creation. Right from the fall. He tempted Eve in the garden in order to ruin that fellowship that, that God had with created man and to overthrow God's rule. Second Chronicles 21, we read, Satan stood against Israel and moved David to number Israel. He stood against Israel and then he uses the anointed one, David. There's a time when Peter tried to correct Christ. Far be it from you, Christ. Christ had said that he was, he was going to suffer and be killed. And, and Peter said, far be it from you that you should be that you should suffer and be killed. And what did Christ say? Christ said, Get behind me. Satan, you are an offense to me. Peter was a tool of the devil. And here in this chapter, chapter 22, as you see, Peter, Satan desires to have these disciples in order to thwart Christ's purposes to, as a Messiah, in order to thwart him from bringing redemption to his people, to work out all God's covenant, all God's covenant plans, to fulfill the scriptures. What does he do? In verse 2 we read, he entered Judas. With the result that Judas offered himself, his services to the priests and captains in order to betray the Lord, he sought an opportunity to do so. Satan is the arch enemy of God who seeks to deceive all, if possible, even the elect from being God's servants and followers, from being God's servants for the kingdom. Satan has asked for the disciples to see which can be of his use. He has asked. He has entreated. He has beseeched. Words that seem so close even to our Lord's work of intercession. We think of our Lord Jesus Christ's intercession, his beckoning, his effectual entreaties. But we do think about that alongside the devils, alongside the devil contending for God's people, for their souls. Remember the devil approaching God's throne. In Job 1, asking to have Job to do all sorts of evil to him in order to disprove God. 
we take for granted the strength of the floors we walk on. We take for granted our own security as believers. Peter has no idea, obviously, what's going on behind the scenes. Satan asking for your soul is hideous. And this grave situation is due to the fact that we in Adam and of our own accord that we have sinned against God that we have brought ourselves into this perilous situation. But God has given to us salvation and grace. But Satan as an angel of light and as a roaring lion he sends troubles as ministers of evil of ministers of wickedness into our lives actively endeavoring to bring you into lust, to bring you into pornography, to bring you into envy, and to bring you into distrust of your elders. To bring you into a grudge against your spouse. We must be wary to give no place to the devil by giving way to our own lusts, the lusts of the flesh, by allowing ourselves to enter into compromised situations where we might fall, where we might deny Christ. We must be wary lest we also be an instrument of the devil in the communion of the saints and God's kingdom. our unseen contender for our souls. Secondly, our undaunted keeper for our well-being. I see something of this, this grand scene that opens up before the throne of God as you look in these words of our Lord here. He's just said that Satan, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But then our Lord says in verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me to strengthen your brethren. When you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Satan has asked. But the Lord says, I myself, but I myself his contrast here, and he, and, and he emphasizes that he himself, there's such comfort in these words. The resoluteness of our Lord Jesus Christ here. I myself have stood up. I myself have challenged what the devil have said. He contends for your souls. But I, as a sovereign, have stood up and I have spoken. I have prayed for you. You see, there's, there's focus and stress upon himself in contrast to the devil. This is he who we see in, in the Gospel of Luke is, is the one who is the Son of Man who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The one in whom, in whom there is forgiveness of sins. The one who can speak that of his own authority. Who has that grace of God within himself. Who is that grace of God. And he has just promised through the sacrament that he will give himself, his body and his blood for them. He will be the salvation in the flesh for them. And he's just said, In verse 22, truly the Son of Man goes as it was determined of Him. He's on His way, or about to go to the garden, where He's going to be arrested, where all this is going to take place, where He will lay Himself down. We read that, right? Why have you come against me? Why did you not try to take me in the temple? And they could not. They could not because of the people. 
They could not because Christ subverted their arguments, proved himself right, vindicated himself in all his words. They could not find a reason to accuse him, and they could not take him because of the people. It was in God's providence. It was in Christ's orchestrating of all things. They come to him at nighttime. And then Christ says, this is your hour. Remember before in Cana, they tried as well to take him. And they fell back. They could do nothing. They couldn't because it was not his time. This is our Lord. Our Lord, he lays himself down as the high priest. That's the first great act of our high priest, Jesus Christ. He lays himself down as, the, as the, the, the priest. The priest lays down the sheep and he gives himself as the sacrifice. But here he is as the one who is going to do this, as the one, as the high priest is about to do this. And here he is surrounded by these for whom he is to do these spiritual services. He's surrounded by these sheep who are going astray by this, this, this Peter even, the spokesman of them all, who's going to deny him. And he does deny him. You see, our high priest goes, boys and girls, to save us from our sins. And as he does so, he experiences our sins even as he goes. He sees and he knows our sin. And he experiences it against himself, he being God. And he doesn't lash out. He lays aside his own personal comforts in order to lay himself down for these, even for Peter in particular, personally for him. You see, it's on the basis of that work of atonement, the basis of himself laying himself down for his sheep that he then can intercede for them. You see, so sure is the work that he's going to do that he can say to Peter, even before he's laid himself down, I have prayed for you. That's the second work of, 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 the, of a high priest to intercede on behalf of, of the sheep, on behalf of the people of God for them. And it's, and it's on the basis then of, of Christ's work of atonement. On the basis of him paying the price for their salvation, paying the price for being, the, being their substitute, paying the price for their redemption, that he then, out of the merits of that, can intercede for them. They are his own. He can ask them. He is, he is, he is fully satisfied for them. He then can intercede effectually for those for whom he has died. You see, as high priest, he did that work. And as high priest, then he entered into the courts of God. As having, having done the complete sacrifice in his blood, in his body. And God received him back and sat him down at his right hand. Showing that indeed the work is finished. Christ rested from his work. He sat down signifying the work was complete. The, the, the salvation is foot finished. There's nothing more to do on behalf of them except to intercede for them, which he does at God's right hand. And that means that Christ's intercession then are not just random requests, are not just spontaneous things that arise, are not just requests that he puts out there. But he who has paid in full the debt, fulfilled all righteousness, conquered the devil, secured their release. Now that's all according to the Father's will. And as the Father sees his Son there, who has done that all, and the Son asks uh, these questions, the asks, uh, asks these requests on behalf of his own, he delights to answer. He delights. Our Lord Jesus Christ as high priest is the perfect high priest in that sense then. 
in the sense that he has experienced this all. He says, a consultant who has gone and experienced all that you have gone through. He knows what it is that Peter is going to face. He knows exactly, and he knows exactly how to pray for him. Peter, I have prayed for you. And our Lord Jesus Christ will be entering into such temptations before him as they come to him. He will be tempted himself to give up, to turn from it. To deny knowing the Father, to deny, to, 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 to not, rather than laying himself down, to call for the angels in heaven to release him from this. But he does not. So that he fully is able to sympathize and knows exactly what to ask for with regard to Peter in those trials. I have prayed for you, Peter. It's effective intercession. Now you might ask, well, how can it be effective or effectual intercession when Peter, after this, does deny Christ? I have asked that your faith fail not. That word for faith is not simply that his faith not stumble or slump for a time, but rather that it does not quit, that it does not expire or die. See, our Lord Jesus Christ, even before then Peter goes through this, ensures by his intercession the continuance of his people through these trials. He's prayed for Peter and guaranteed his continuing standing in grace, his continuing salvation, his continuing in the state of salvation even before Peter has encountered the trial. You see, the security of God's people despite the threats that the devil poses We can see and feel the strength of the floorboards and the girders of Christ's work and intercession. Satan shall accuse and seek, but Christ prays and can say even, when you return, strengthen your brothers. You see the power of Christ's work on his throne here. That that Peter will not just emerge from this fall, but but shall have this command ringing in his ears when he comes back. I must go and strengthen my brothers. There's no if about it. It's not like you send your son to the store and you're not sure if he's going to be distracted by his friend on the way and you hope he's going to, he's going to go there and come back on time and, and you, give him, you, you would give him instructions as to what he's to do when he gets back, but you're not sure. You're not sure. We'll just wait and see if he gets back first. There's nothing of that here. Our Lord has secured Peter's return by his intercession for Peter. And it's guaranteed uh, in his intercession on the basis of his own atonement for Peter's soul and for every sin that he will commit. You see that indeed the state of your soul doesn't swing back and forth like a pendulum between Satan and Christ. And it's not reason that for you to throw up your arms and say, why shall I continue? Seeking the Lord. Struggling with faith. Rather, turn back to Him. Peter would say to us, he does, and he does say to us in 2 Peter 2, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He knows that experientially. Those for whom Christ has died, for these he intercedes. We all know Romans 8, verse 28, I expect. We should. Children might memorize that. 
All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good for them. What is it? How is it working for good? Do we know the verse before? He who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, it's the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ along with the Spirit, the Spirit who knows the heart. And our Lord Jesus Christ who knows what it is to to struggle, who knows what it is, uh, not in a sense of struggle in terms of giving way to sin. He's perfect, but He knows what it is to, to, to encounter that struggle, to pass through that struggle. He knows the arduousness of the, of the temptations. And the Father then gives all things according to this most competent intercession of Christ, this most effectual intercession of Christ with His Spirit. And that's how all things work together. Our Lord Jesus Christ and ensuring your eternal well-being and His ministry at the Father's throne for you. And therefore, turn to Him with your whole heart. Revive repentance for your falling away from Him, knowing that He has supplied all that you stand in need of. And He will continue to supply all you need to persevere and to minister in His name. Our unseen contender for our souls, our undaunted keeper for our well-being. Thirdly, our unafraid confession of the Lord. We just read the passage and we we know the, the things ahead in this story. We understand what happens after this, but we remember Peter, right? The characters in the story, they don't. He's heard our Lord Jesus Christ say this. How much does he understand at this point? He knows, he just knows the Lord is the Son of God and he loves him and and desires to be loyal to him. He shall be loyal to him. So he boldly declares, verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. It's easy for us to know, as we know the whole story, to, to think Peter... Words are so easy. What's your confession really worth? But our Lord does not condemn him for these words. We do see some correction. He does not condemn him for these words. We are preserved through faith. And this is faith here in the, the active sense. I might ask, is that same sentiment there in our hearts, in our minds, to follow our Lord, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross after Him? We can also see, however, that Peter's confession is naive. He says, the stress here is on being ready, ready or prepared. I am to go to prison and to death. I'm ready for it. This was after the disciples were disputing who would betray Christ. And them not realizing the capacity of our hearts. The capacity of our depraved hearts as we stand up, if we stood outside of Christ in terms of ourself. That each any one of us could betray Christ. Peter, you're naive. Upon what does your entrance into Christ's kingdom rest? Upon the strength of your faith and profession? Upon your readiness? Are you really ready? Or rather, upon the strength of your Savior who has died and who intercedes for you 
Despite all your rebellion, despite all your sin and weakness, despite your lack of preparedness for suffering. Perhaps Peter has some faith in faith. Instead of simply faith in his Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, our Lord's unlimited comprehension of our lives. His unlimited comprehension or His full knowledge of our lives. What do you think Peter was expecting? An answer to that bold, that bold statement, I, I'm ready to go to prison and death. Perhaps he's thinking back to when Christ said, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ said, upon this rock, I will build this church, my church. But Christ's response, rather, is that he tells Peter, I know you. I know you. I tell you, Peter, Rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. As early as the next morning, this happens in the evening. As early as the next morning, six, nine hours later, three opportunities will have passed for Peter to go to prison or to die with his Lord. And every one of those, Peter will fail. Peter will adamantly say that he does not know Christ. You see, our Lord knows us so much better than we know ourselves. He knows truly what we are made of. He knows exactly what will befall Peter. Now Peter shall even say with an oath, I do not know him. The question is, Peter, what do you know? What do we really know of ourselves? What do we really know of our future? The heart and the soul is ours. The sin that is there. Our own capacity to do evil. What do we really know? The important thing is that we know Christ. And we know that He knows us. That we are known of Him. Peter will fall. If it were just about him, if it all rested on him, well, certainly a Lord would not go to the cross. Peter would be an instrument of Satan who would have prevented him if it was rested on Peter. If Peter's salvation rested upon himself, he would fall like Judas, and perhaps even worse, because he denied Christ three times. But knowing Peter and knowing his sin, our Lord Jesus Christ went and died for him. Our Lord looks at Peter later. He knows him. Makes it clear, I know you. He goes and he dies knowing Peter's sin against him. Does that bring to mind what Paul says in Romans chapter 5? While we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice he calls him Peter here. Peter. He knows Peter as, as one of his own, as, as united with himself, and, and calls him by his new name. 
He doesn't look at Peter here in terms of who Peter is, in terms of himself, in terms of his sinful nature, as he is in Adam, as a fallen, broken sinner who deserves hell. And he would fall away with him, fall away from him in any opportunity. But Peter, as he is in Christ, as he is in God's grace, and that's how he knows you. Despite knowing you and all your terrible sins and all the sins that you will commit, he went and he died for you, for each one of those sins that you committed against you, against him. He is a personal savior, a personal high priest who has his people had his people on his heart and mind as he went and saved, had the names of all his people on his chest. And despite knowing all your sin, he continues to intercede for you. Is that a remarkable love? Love that we would never know shows to us that anything else doesn't, it, it doesn't even compare to the love of our Lord Jesus Christ for us, of God and Christ. He knows you. He knows what you are going through. He knows what will come before you. And so he knows exactly what to ask. I have prayed for you so that your faith will not fail despite what the devil might seek to do against you. Romans makes clear that this is the one who has died. This is the one who has risen again. This is the one who is seated at the right hand of God. Who is there to bring a charge against you? Who is there to condemn you? And the writer of Hebrews says that he ever lives in at the right hand of God to save you to the uttermost. He knows you. And what a glorious thing. How do we respond to such comprehensive knowledge? And David would say, it is too wonderful for us. Praise God for that, that constant grace in Jesus Christ. That continuing grace that we have from him. The security we have in not just knowing him, but him knowing us. Let us then confess him. Let us put our trust in him. Let us have confidence in his grace. Do you love him? You are my Savior and my Lord. My walk is continually in you.